Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am really excited to have a conversation today with Julie Henderson. I want to welcome you, Julie, to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So, The reason Julie's here, everyone, is because Julie's uh, team reached out to us and she could be included in the podcast. And when I started reading about her and reading her bio, I said, yes, yes, please, let's have a, a conversation about what it means to raise medically fragile kids. And, you know, we don't talk about this a lot in our realm because a lot of us are dealing with kids who may not be neurotypical, but who are on some level developing normally and are most likely to, to make it to adulthood in some capacity, whether they're you know functioning well as adults is a whole other story. We've got multiple kids between us. We understand that, right? But sometimes when we're parenting, we get gifted with a super complex child and it changes the playing field in a lot of ways. And I had one child such as this that got me on this journey who was what I finally be, figured out was a the concept of medically fragile, there was just a lot of medical issues in addition to neurological issues going on. And that pales by comparison to the child that Julie was gifted with, with raising and seeing through his life. So I wanted to have a really honest conversation about raising medically fragile kids. So Julie, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being here. And thank you for what you're doing in the world to raise this awareness to this issue and and provide a vehicle for other parents to find support. Well, thank you. I have not had the training as you have had with your organization. And so sometimes I feel like, okay, what do I have to offer in this medically fragile area? Um, My degree is music and my husband is a physician, but, you know, he's an adult physician and deals with pulmonary and critical care kids and and adults. I say kids because as they age out at 21 and are still medically fragile, I still call them kids, even though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, once you've gotten to a point where you got a grandbaby in your life, everybody's a kid. Hello. I'm a grandma and I'm claiming it every way. Yeah. So our story is pretty typical of families with really rare disease children. I sometimes laugh because people ask me, well, did he have autism? Did he have other neurological disabilities? And I say, yes, he did. But it was like number 10, 11, 12 on our list. I was going to say, but that is not important. (laughs) I have all the things that you have to deal with, or we had, but our mainly was how do we keep him alive? And, you know, this is going to be a deep conversation between us, Elaine, because um, 
is a really small, intimate group that have their child's disease listed on the rare disease nationally on their database. And when you see that, it's very hard to comprehend how to navigate that. So let me back up a little bit and tell you about yeah. Robert. So Robert had mitochondrial disease, is that right? Yeah. disease, okay. which is for a lot of people a new term. It's basically his body could not produce the energy that was needed to support all of his systems. I'll say it like that. Okay. And so he was always know, he running was, out of gas, yeah, running out of gas, which then caused a lot of um, neurological issues. So he is the baby of five um, and he is a twin. So we have four other kids and they're all not on any kind of spectrum other than, you know, they get to be the wonderful sibling to Robert, which I think is, you know, a really cool path to be on because they make incredible adults. They're very yeah. compassionate. But Robert basically was born, you know, had a little breathing problems in the beginning um, because he was a twin. We were comparing him all the time to his very smart sister who was always a little bit ahead. And so when we had reached about two and a half, three, it was a little bit behind in speech, really didn't notice that much. Like, okay, let's get a speech therapist. Easter seals came in. We're going to, you know, all the things that everybody knows who's in this, this group. And um, it starts so slowly is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. This, yes. And, you know, most people understand a delay in speech. That is, you know, okay, he has delay in speech. We're going to get some speech therapy. What happened after that was he had a big seizure very large now we call it generalized seizures not a you know a grand mal seizure and i'd never seen one before lane it was it was shocking to me i was driving down the hall highway and all of a sudden i look in the rear view and he's doing this incredible movement in rhythm that i had never seen before wow. i didn't know seizure should look like but i recognized it right away okay this is not real this is not happening in my car <laughs> it's a seizure <laughs> it's like that's not normal was he still in the car seat still in a car seat and wow. the only looked in the mirror was because his twin sister victoria made a noise like uh uh something she was saying something like yeah. something here um and i think that's also the beauty of twins they they understand each other yeah um, so fast forward a little bit more went through the eeg testing all the neurological testing had great physicians and medical teams throughout his years um, but that started us on a journey that I advise most parents when a child has a seizure at first, don't get on the internet and Google every seizure you can find. Just don't right. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can well, imagine. To your stomach and every time a doctor announces or gives you input about what they think it might be, don't get on the internet trying to research all of that because it might be that, it might not be that. But until you know clearly, say for with genetic testing, it can be a heartache for you. And that's some of the self-care I, I learned. Don't do that. Know enough to have a conversation. Well, and I can echo that in the realm of neurology because I had a kid who a lot of the behavioral issues showed up emotionally. And so there are books behind me on bipolar, on schizophrenia, on, you know, all kinds of like a full range of neurological diseases that I should not have been reading about when they were six and eight years old. Yeah, it actually made me sick to my stomach. I just went, yeah. okay, I can't spend hours on the internet Googling every rare disease that has a seizure component. So yeah. as we forward, it became clear that he was going to be more complex. Um, he started to have multiple years a day ended up being hundreds of seizures a day. The really wonderful thing about Robert's life was that my husband was in the military at that time. And so we had really good care in San Antonio is where I am. 
And his medical team, the neurologists, the nurses, therapists, everyone just gathered around Robert like they do every patient and just gave us support. We don't, this is what they would say, neurologists in particular. We don't know what it is yet, but we're going to treat it as this because it it is bad, but we just don't have a name for it yet. And so that I just adore to this day. Um, she said, we're going to call it Robert's disease and we're going to treat it like this. So even before we could get the genetic testing, the, the muscle biopsy for him, she treated it as if it was a mitochondrial disease. And I really believe that saved his life in as far as having more time with him at our house. Yeah. So she treated it as if that, and then we were able to get the skin biopsy and the muscle biopsy that then you know, diagnosed him with the mitochondrial disease and several other things. So, so let's, let's stop here for a second. Cause you know, your story is bringing me all these flashbacks, <laughs> right? And what I'm remembering is the years of, I remember writing a piece early on about what it means to live with an inconclusive diagnosis, right? When you don't know what's going on, when everybody's telling you, well, I think it's this and I think it's that. And I think it's the other thing. And you've got 20 million possibilities and you're the parent and you don't know any of it except for that, you know, nobody's figured it out yet. Right. Well, and also because my husband's a physician, there was that hope in both of us that we could fix it. You know, we can yeah. fix it. Yeah. What we know now after all the years of not having a diagnosis, that having a name is really important as far as settling your heart. I think that does have some value. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily change the progression of the disease, but it does give you a piece. There's a name. And to me, when the name is, like I said, on the, the NORD, the National Organization of Rare Disease database, you get to say, this child has this, it's in a database, it's real. Right. Now I know what, now we know what we've got. Now we can begin to figure out how we do something about it. Even if you can't fix it, but when you don't know you're in this lost place as a parent, like you feel like you should know something. There's no way you should know. Right. No. And there's that whole road. Yes. Yes. And then there's that whole road of guilt and shame that I don't know. I can't tell you why he's acting like that. I can't tell you why he has hundreds of seizures a day. Then we went to brain surgery. I can't tell you if the brain surgery is going to work because we really don't know, know specifically what's happening. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing the diet, but we haven't tried it. So let's try this, this ketogenic diet. Let's try this. Let's try, let's try all the things that we know right now. And I think that is good. But when you get the name of a diagnosis, it changes how you then I think, look at your gift, your child, you look at differently. And so when that happened and we were able to do that, we had him for 10 more years in our home. So he passed away in 2015 um, at 18 years old. And that last 10 years was a gift. We should not have had him pass two and a half, three years. I mean, there just, there wasn't a reason. Yeah. So um, yeah, there are a lot of different treatments, but well, as I hear what you're saying, what's what I'm remembering, and, and our stories are, that's where they diverge, right? So my kid was diagnosed around 10 years, around eight, right? The difference is your kid got a diagnosis that said, this is a terminal disease, right? My kid got a diagnosis that said, if you change this, this kid can live, Yes. yes. right? And, and there was this, you just, in your blog, you talk about the Julie before and the Julie after right? After Robert. And I think about the kid before and the kid after that diagnosis and what a difference the world was. Again, once we knew what was going on and whether you can deal with it or or change it or not, knowing it gives you so much peace. 
That's the key. It's the piece of we found it. And that sounds, if you haven't been there, you don't know what that piece is you're looking for. You're, you're grappling for years and years until you find you're fixing what you know to fix. You're doing the surgeries, you're doing the G-tube, you're doing all the things that are logical and make sense until there is a name. And then I'm going to characterize my heart in a way that I think you'll understand. There was a joy that came in when I had the name and I don't, not even sure if joy is the right word, Elaine, but there was a, a piece of a joy that I got the privilege of raising this child that now had a mitochondrial disease with a name on it. And I got, I got the joy of raising him for 10 years in our home with incredible medical teams and, and nurses and no one else was given that privilege. And so once we realized at that point, this disease is terminal, whether it's a year from now or, you know, 10 years from now, if I outlive him or not, there was that piece that I'm going to do everything I can, but I'm not going to fix it. This is his genetic component from this one. Is, this and is his so journey. On. Yeah. Right. For whatever his, reason, you know, he was put here for a short time to bring a lot of love and life to the world and to your family. And to teach and, us. Yeah. I think that's part of it. We think we're teaching them all the time. And they're actually teaching us. One of my, our oldest daughter sent me an article a few weeks ago about Native American community and how the Native American community in some communities, a child that has Down syndrome or has a disability, they look upon the child as if the child is a gift to the community and they were put here specifically to teach us something rather than the child's disabled, we're going to teach them. It was such a beautiful article just talking about our perspective on how we treat those with a dis disability. And um, it really reminded me of how I felt the last 10 years of his life, that there was joy because Robert was Robert. And it was, it was pretty special. Well, that's the thing, right? When you stop trying to fix it. So I was having a conversation on another podcast episode with Diane about, so my theory is damage, parenting is damage control. And... <laughs> That our job, all, all we can really do is realize that we're not going to do it all right and to apologize when we do get it wrong, but to know that, that our job is actually to steward them on their journey. It's not to try to get them to fit in the box of what we think their journey should be. And when you have a really complex child, it takes a while to get your head around that because everybody's trying to get you to get them to hit the milestones. Right, right, right. Check it off inclusion inclusion you know that the child needs to be in the regular classroom yeah all the things um and yeah. I, think, I think that's necessary for us to keep advocating and keep fighting that that's our heart it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do as much as i can as much as i can until right. I there's that realization that i am doing as much as i can and this is all my precious robert can do and then i had to when he got diagnosed i i wrote a blog for tomorrow um i think it's coming out tomorrow it, it's about when I finally accepted that Robert was ID, or back then we said, you know, uh, he was mentally retarded, which I don't use that phrase ever again, but we yeah. used that then. He was that MR. Was then. Yeah. Right. ID is intellectually disabled, that. right? Oh, right. So I finally accepted that, that labeling of him and realized that it was a gift that mm -hmm. um, he would get the medical care he needed because of that diagnosis. He would also be able to be in our home and be cared for differently than if I was going to send him to school every day. There well, are a lot of things that happen. 
It gave you permission to set expectations that were appropriate to him. And I think as parents, we get caught up in trying to fulfill everybody else's expectations of us as parents, of our kids, as their behaviors. And when, we're, when we stop all that, we just meet them where they are, wherever they are, it's the greatest gift to them and to us, isn't it? It is. And it settles the family, too, because with the other kids doing everything, music, sports, I t- we tell our kids now, I said, the reason we only gave you one instrument and one sport, you that's the only thing allowed. I said, because I don't have that many hours in the day. I did the <laughs> I, same thing. I did the same thing. <laughs> one instrument. That's it. That's it. One, we did one culture, one athletic. Yes. That was the way. <laughs> And because let's be honest, you as a mom, you had five kids. One was a twin with with a significant, what we would call a profound disability. You can only do so much. I mean, you're only human. Yeah, I'm only human. That's right. And and I still think when I look back, you said, you know, we're talking about looking back too. There's no way I could have done that. If I was writing down everything I was doing every day, you know, kind of, I watched one of the podcasts and talked about the exercise of writing down all the things. And I was also interested in the one you did during the holidays about people's expectations, family gatherings and all of the holidays and all the things. And one of the things that used to always bother me was that I was, I was around family members who really didn't know what was going on. And I always had that burden of, should I tell them what I'm really going through or my church friends or my girlfriend, should I really let them in on how difficult this is? And I decided most of the time, no, because they're learning now that, you know, through the blog that, oh, I didn't realize you were going through that. And I said, I couldn't share it. I wasn't ready to share. And I didn't know who could handle it. So, um, and so you're protecting them too. Right. You're taking care of everybody and the kids and all your friends. Yeah. And bless Chris's heart, my husband, you know, he'd be deployed, you know, for months at a time and he'd come back and, you know, things drastically, Robert. Yeah. It, yeah. We don't even want to go there. Military families get it. It's, you know, it's something you do. You're a military wife and I was a military uh, dependent growing up. So you do well, it. At least in, a, in that community, you do have support structures, even if they don't know why they're helping, they're still willing to help. Yes. And our neurologist was in the military. She got out of the military and I, we still went to see her um, when she was out of the military because she followed Robert's life so incredibly well. That's um, nice. So what do you want? Because believe it or not, we're going to start wrapping this up in a little bit. And I know it seems like we just started talking, but and there's so much we could go to. But if you could sort of say, what do you want parents of kids, of complex kids, like of kids with medically fragile conditions, what do you want them to understand better? What do you feel like they would, it would help them to hear that if they could hear from you now with the hindsight from your story? The greatest sentence that was given to me was through my mom. My mom asked a friend of hers who was for a child in her home with a disability. She said, what should Julie know? And this is really early on. And she said, tell her to pace herself. Yeah. I said, what? And she yeah. said, I said, just tell her to pace herself. Love it. And that on my mind now, even six years after Robert passed, that that was the most important thing because I knew I had support medically, church-wise, friends-wise, community neighbors, but I had to internally decide to look long-term, 
jumping to the long term. I guess that's part of it because when it, and you know your child has a terminal illness, you're always wondering and asking, well, how much time do I have? When will he pass? How will he pass? All those things that logically make sense, but you can't do that every day. You just no. you can't. So you've got to pace yourself. So in the impact framework, so for those of you in our community, we talk about this as taking a marathon view. Yes. Right. I so we talk about this, this pace yourself for the long haul because you're in it for the long haul. And what's occurring to me, so the thing you described about mitochondrial disease was that his body couldn't generate enough energy to meet all its systems. And as a parent, what you needed more than anything was to make sure you were using the fuel in the right places at the right time for yourself. Right. Self-care. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, practically, you can say pace yourself, but what does that look like? So I wrote a couple of things down because I it meant something to me to then say, well, how are you going to explain that to another mom? So pace yourself is a great phrase, but how do you do that? First thing, uh, well, there are two things that mean a lot to me. Accept that your child is exactly who they're supposed to be. Yes. And that means from a mild diagnosis, quote unquote, or to a medically complex terminal illness child uh, with a diagnosis of terminal illness. Yeah. Accept that that's who exactly who they're supposed to be and that you've been given the joy of raising them. They are yours. No one else got that privilege. You got the privilege of raising this child. They are for you to teach you and for you to love, adore, and like you said, just guide them on what they can do. Robert could do three iPads on a on his wheelchair desk. And if you moved a screen off of something he was looking at, he would look at you like, why did you touch my screen? And he'd go right back to it. And sometimes we would test him to see, is he really paying attention to three screens while he's watching a movie? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Still had to one, three, you know, meds, but he could do that. So accept that that's who you've been given. And that- so there, there are two things here. One, we would say meet them where they are, wherever yes. they are. But the other that I'm hearing that's really important here is for whatever reason, this is like, is look for the joy in the journey. Like there's a reason that he selected you. There's a reason you've been chosen to be the parent of this really complex kid. And, you know, whether you believe in faith or God or universe or science or whatever it is, you're the one in this role. And this is your journey to unfold as well. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Absolutely. And you're hearing it correctly. I, I am a believer in, in God's divine intervention into my life. And so I don't believe Rob accident. I don't believe he was an accident when his first cell, you know, was formed. And I don't believe I was, I'm an accident in that I'm his mom. Right. But I was had that joy. So once I came to that, it, it was different for me. So getting there sooner than later is a is a really good thing to help you pace yourself. The other thing I would say is you're not alone. You have community around you. And I know you say this a lot. You're not alone. You have resources. Don't go down the rabbit hole researching everything, but you do have the ability to find a community, whether it's your church, your school, uh, your therapist, waiting room, which I know we don't wait in the waiting rooms as often right now with COVID, but that used to be a place you could find great support from other parents. It could be a community moms group. There are people. So when you're strong enough and you're able to tell your story a little bit, find some people around you. I have the greatest girlfriends who walked with me through things. They let me be mad. They let me cry. They let me not believe. They let me do all the things I needed to do in the moment so that 
um, I could be healthy enough and able to take care of Robert. The other thing I do love, find something that you like, like baths or candles, or I'm an orchid person. So if I'm having a really bad day, I'm at the grocery store buying an orchid because <laughs> there are just some things that, well, there's some beauty in the world, you know? And um, some some of that is part of self-care that you get Whatever to- Whatever self-care you need. Not forget. Yeah. That's right. What I love about what you're saying, I was, I'm thinking about, again, those first 10 years when I was lost- and then as I got clearer, that's when I was able to talk to people. That's when I was able to ask for help. So I know we're, we're out of time and we need to wrap. And, and I want to ask you one more question. But first, let's, let's tell people how they can get in touch with you. They can go to inourarms.blog. Um, that has all the information about what we do, um, how you can you know, join in our community on Facebook. And, and we have you know, some resources there also. So uh, in our arms.blog, and that's in the show notes. I'm going to target the question. I was going to ask you, is there anything else you want parents to know? But what I want to ask you to, to address is this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>